Uh, hey everyone, welcome to the way this podcast works now has changed and we all just talk over each other. Does it matter? Um, <laughs> what was the thing that you actually wanted? You said you wanted to talk about Pinkman. Right, right. As As a piece of world building and piecing together some stuff because last week when we talked about heresy we suggested that the god computer didn't create humanity but found them right and found a sort of a a prehistory civilization that was so great that heaven actually wound up being partially modeled on it and i was wondering if that if if uh, the pink men wouldn't actually be a surviving relic of that era or were or were the pink men that era wait what, Uh, what what is the status of them the Pinkmen are currently an endangered species, kind of. If you recall, Milo and the uh, the alphanumeric order took them in into protective custody in a sort of conservation effort. They're a relic of the past, and they're just being preserved for historical value. And, yeah, so were they being preserved, or were they sort of like the Oompa Loompas of, what was it, the World Tree, or the Co, the Keep, the keep, the keep of the Code? I think or we... these different we, things? We did discuss that they were a holdover from one of the God Computer's uh, sort of attempts to scour the world, to reset it to factory defaults, to work on it from a cleaner state. Yeah. But I'm trying to connect them because we have Plato, who has downloaded a copy of his consciousness into Galter, which made him Galter the Grey. Galter was the, the sort of the chief shaman of the Pinkman, and I'm thinking about why Plato would choose to do that at all. I like I it, it's in line. Why choose to do what? Why he would choose one of the Pinkmen to download himself into. What's special about the Pinkmen? And so I was thinking that maybe they are the the high the high fancy prehistory super civilization. Well, is what's special about them like their uh, uh what's it called? Like molecular makeup? Like we recent technological discoveries have found that maybe we could write data, digital data onto DNA strands. Was that something, was that something new and special? Was that the reason that he had to download it into them was that they had sort of one of the most refined iterations of like a DNA sort of structure. No other living creatures could quite hold his data the way that Pinkman could. That is actually better than what I had in mind, and I like that. What was your thing? I was thinking that since they're, they were a super civilization, any civilization is really gauged by its technological advancement and how well it synthesizes technology mm. with, with, with its people. And I was thinking that these people had integrated cybernetics, and so they were almost a bridge in between what Plato was looking for and oh, what Plato is. But I like the idea that they've actually gone a step further, and the, it, they're actually more like programmable matter. Yeah, yeah, their their own cells, their own DNA can hold the same kind of data that cybernetic stuff could. And so, yeah, <laughs> not only your pinky into a USB drive, or yeah, a or <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, not only are they a super civilization, but they're probably the only organic creatures that can actually take that data in the first place, like that can actually integrate it into themselves. Yeah. Which means that that wasn't just an attempt at a backup. That was probably an attempt for Plato to become, you know, an organic being 
through that kind of synthesis. Oh yeah, the the first like Mach one of yeah, his first attempt to become a being of flesh is to put his consciousness into a meat body. Have you have you seen Get Out? Yeah, we. I think that comes out every time we wind up discussing this dynamic. It's, I love it. Yeah. Ooh, tummy gurgles. But if you have a thought, please please do elaborate it just for anyone listening. Oh, not especially. I was I was just going to use that as a uh, I guess an allegory or example of putting consciousness into a thing. Because yeah, that would be the test before you can fully. Because his, mm-hmm. his plan is to fully just become. He'll get rid of the body that he. What will he do with the body that he currently embodies? I that's that's a really interesting and existential question, and I don't know if he would have been prepared to fully like. Maybe he would have killed his past self if he had fully like manifested in this new body. Oh, that would actually maybe be a pretty cool scene is for him to be like on the the slab or the table or whatever, and he just immediately wakes up and like kills himself. <laughs> the old self is like he knows it's coming but at the same time or i don't know maybe now that his consciousness is out of does does the consciousness get replaced or taken out yeah i think for the very first test he would make a copy of himself and put it in and see if it worked and All if right. it works properly he would actually take his you know in, instead of copying files, he would just move them. And so I guess that would leave his regular body an empty husk. Does this change a little bit of how we approach the flavoring and... Oh, excuse me. Um, the framing of how his motivation works when in season two or whatever it is? Uh, that As for Plato's motivation i actually think it it, this is mostly congruent with it so i don't think it has to change anything it's just kind of filling out the back end a little but i was i was playing fallout 4 the other day hanging out with nick valentine and i took one look at him and i thought now that's a guy who wishes he had real skin and it fucking hit me that plato must be a terminator under his meat Mm, yeah and since i did just complete a script where we get to first see plato and the the only thing we see of him is his eyes. I kind of figured oh, you're that. Oh, talking about the eyes thing. Yeah. yeah, I think his eyes should be his most distinct feature. And since we were discussing ways for the audience and for Tucker and Todd in particular to kind of clue in to the fact that there's a bit of Plato kicking around inside of Galter, we wanted to give Galter a, a tick that would manifest, you know, maybe under moments of stress or or just at random. And I think instead of a tick, maybe he needs his eyes to, like, flicker to be Plato's eyes. And so are Plato's eyes, like, mechatronic in some way, then? I was thinking I was thinking something like that. Either either very clearly mechanical or or biomechanical in a, in a way, but a, a definitely a distinct color. Mm-hmm. And the only color I can think of that's super distinct for eyes is, like, a bright yellow. Right. For for something that will stand out in the dark and and can easily be like a quick flash that will be recognizable. As for whether they are mechanical in nature and they actually wind up looking like Generation 2 synth eyes, which are pretty scary looking. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a maybe. I'm, we might have to justify it a little more if Galter's eyes just like randomly flick over to be not only a different color, but an entirely different type of eye. Well, because I feel like if they're just a different color, that's not really necessarily an indicator. Like, when you say a different color, you mean, like, the iris is a different color? 
Yeah, maybe not earlier. just a color, but a glow effect. Yeah. Or maybe it, it also a distinct, a distinct shape. Yeah. Something, something like that. But I, th I do think the eyes might be the, uh, the good starting place for that. Okay, so yeah, that's the Plato signs. Now we know why the pink men are special. Galter was chosen just because he was their chief shaman, or I guess since he's they're not prim, they're not a primitive society now that we've decided he's not a shaman. He would be their probably their chief scientist. Well, was he was he their chief shaman then, or was he actually somebody who was kind of like a, a fuck up and it was kind of like disposable, and that's why he oh. was for this thing. And then once right. he was in. Uh, um, oh! Once he was made special, then that's when they started kind of like revering him. I think you're right. I think that's much better. He's somebody who was forgettable that nobody would miss. Plato could pluck him off the street and nobody would go looking for him. Nothing would happen. Yeah. And then imbuing him with Plato is what makes him a scientist. It makes him more intelligent. It makes him more charismatic. He becomes a leader because of Plato. Right. I like that. He bas he becomes their philosopher king. So yeah, yeah, P Plato's base programming does actually influence his personality. Now, now does it influence his person is he benevolent or is he Plato at the time isn't super evil, I think. Right. He's he's a guy with an obsession, but I don't think he's he's not like needlessly cruel or he's just kind of callous. And his obsession is with becoming a real boy. And so does... Yeah, he's got a Pinocchio complex. And so is it inverted within the the guy then? Is that he's obsessed with machinery and that's part of why he becomes like the, the techno wizard? I like that. Because, I mean, that's what Plato really knows best. It's just machines. Right. Yeah, I think that is kind of funny and also ironic in a way that it, it imbues Galter the Grey with uh, uh, on a, an interest in the opposite direction. Yeah. And that's why he's so good at, you know, all kinds of mechanisms, but also he's a fancy great chemist. <laughs> all right. That's, I think that I'm satisfied with those. One last question. Mm -hmm. Thinos, we, we have him going around and flattening things, right? Right. I was wondering if maybe he sucks the depth out of things because there's a, there's a generally vampiric element to all of our, all of our stuff related to the BA, the, the Zodiac all of them, they're, they're vampires. Right. So is it possible that Thanos actually s sucks the depth out of stuff, thereby flattening the other thing and giving some depth to himself? So he, he kind of unflattens himself, but it never lasts. So he inevitably has to go on to the next thing. Well, could we make that like an existential thing? Like the d the depth it gives himself is, it, it just is it like is digging a hole. It's not actually substance. No matter how much depth he sucks out of something else, it, it just never, never fully fills him in. Yeah, because, well, now you got me just using that word. Because, I mean, like, just vampirically sucking the depth out, like, that. You're, that's just, that's sort of just like a visual thing, right? Yeah. Um. But, I mean, we can play with it metaphorically. Like, if we go with the, if we go with the, the base vampire thing, they aren't alive they're dead they they drain the life from other things to imbue themselves with a sort of like a false echo of life to to sustain their own miserable existence all right so like no matter how much life they consume they can never be alive themselves they're it's just a 
a, mi- a mimicry of it. It's false. Right. Which makes them kind of tragic monsters. But rather than than sucking, like vis- visually making things flat, because I, I, I just feel like I've seen that. A guy goes around, he sucks the thing out, and now it's flat. Um, is it is it if he's taking the existential depth out I of mean, things? I mean, he's yeah, that's he's definitely and, and, missing that. So that's something he would he could want, and that makes him less flat. Could it but be, or, he, or does it? Yeah, well, yeah, maybe it it it's oh it never or, okay. it never gives him as much as he takes away, and it's never for very long. Or do we differentiate them? He tries sucking the physical depth out of 3D objects, but that doesn't give him any 3D depth. So he starts sucking the uh, what is the word that I'm thinking of? Like you're you're not you're not deep shallow. Um, well, that's shallow. But but what is the what, how would you describe that depth? What what kind of depth is that? It's not physical depth. Metaphysical depth. He's sucking the metaphysical depth out of things. Hmm. Yeah, I guess we are kind of at a. I understand the concept. You understand the concept, but we we're at a point where it's difficult to to verbalize. But I get I get what you mean. Although I do think we need to think of a a good way to have that sort of visually represented. Well, but so like, what? What is so? How is this a new idea, though? What were you? What 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 was he doing before? What did we say that he was doing? What was? Oh, what, he, he had he had like a Midas touch where he would just flatten stuff, but it didn't like put anything in him. There there was no transaction to it. Right. There was no exchange, and I'm just wondering if there's a way to turn it into something that he needs to do rather than something that he just wants to do. Something that sustains his existence, but like in a a way that's not equivalent to what he takes away. Well, what so did he get nothing out of the Midas touch before? What was did we not have a motivation for him before? Uh, he had a motivation in the sense that he was flat and he wanted everything else to be flat too. And, it was a sort and, of a, a and, world perspective. And now the suggestion is that he wants to be not flat. Hmm. Cuz that, that's Cause what I do, he do makes so... everything else flat, but now he is also not flat. Because you're saying he gets depth out of it. It's a transaction. And yeah, so if, it, if it's, it's a transaction... It's fleeting. What does he get out of it? It's fleeting? It's it, a crank Anything thing. he gets out of it is fleeting. Although I do like the idea that he's got this twisted worldview where everything would be better if it was simpler. Everything would be better if it was flat. But So then also, if it is fleeting, then then where do we go with that? Where do we go from there? If well, it if, never if actually... If the depth he acquires is fleeting, it means he has to continually drain things right and then what happens to him well that inevitably brings him into contact with things that don't want to be drained and especially with people although both both outcomes inevitably bring him into conflict where are we with thanos anyways How, thanos, gotta... thanos is at church in kansas that means there's nothing a... really. like what is going what was the last thing that happened to him like what's going like i am not caught up with what's going on in the show okay thanos and Thanos has just manifested in the outside. So the boys have just created him. He couldn't manifest all by himself. He's too lacking in depth or he's too flat. So Elrond's sort of bodiless spirit made a deal with Thanos and the two of them combined into a gestalt being that could then actually finish being born. So we've got Thanos with two intelligences inside of his head that can communicate with each other. And they're wandering the outside, currently looking for shelter. 
We last saw him as he stepped inside of one of the branches of Phantasology's church. Who's currently looking for shelter? Thinos. Okay. He's only just been born. He has no friends. He has no material resources. All he's got is a voice in his head. Okay. But that voice in his head directs him to one place that is known as a shelter, which is the Phantasology branch in a town in the outside. Because Phantasology has churches there. Yeah. Kansas, our very first town that we ever made in the outside. The Garden of Eden. Yeah. If I, if I recall, it's not too far from the wreckage of a thought yacht, one of its incarnations. Yeah. But that is where Thanos is left off, just stepped into the, into the doors of Phantasology, which, of course, is one of those churches that are really happy when a new person walks in the door. Mm-hmm. How can we exploit you today? But that's, that's oh. where Thanos is left off. Okay. So his what what he wants is still up in the air because he hasn't had any opportunity to do have any interactions beyond incorporating Elrond into himself. He needs to have some sort of exposition, catch him halfway up to the halfway where he is, and or I guess catch him all of the way up to the halfway where he is. Um, yeah, and sort of put some pieces together, and then therefore give him his motivation. Yeah, and of course. Any motivation that he does have will inevitably be influenced by the fact that he's now got Elrond occupying some headspace as well. So whatever Elrond wants will factor is he, in. Is he going to have one of those accidentally discovering his powers during this meeting with the... Um, oh, the I like that. I like that. I think he should, yeah. How do, and also, have we talked about... Is, are his powers kind of like they're diminished at first? first oh yeah he he is freshly born and we we kind of have his power level being gated by the relative level of success of the web comic or any whatever the comic that the boys are making of him and its popularity so the more people are thinking about him and uh, uh, absorbing that content the more powerful he becomes okay so maybe maybe he um at first, okay, okay, so it's gradual then. At first, so it is, it starts off as sort of a Midas touchy thing with. I like that. He has with, no real control over it. Yeah, but it's only with simple objects. And uh, the, the a joke that popped into my mind, what is he touches a woman's chest and she becomes flat chested and then it cuts to a straight woman telling us we can't make that joke. <laughs> you, are you crazy? Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's very funny. Um, so yeah, he he can turn like simple objects into flattened versions of themselves, and then it progresses to something that becomes more of, of a vampire sucky. And as he exponentially grows in power, then that's when he can start sucking out the metaphysical depth out of things. <laughs> I like it, that. It progresses better. to that point. I like that. That's that's a better transition, and it's. It integrates just sort of all of it in a just a, a full way. Fullness. The thing that the thing that Thanos is gonna be chasing eventually. Yeah. Fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I yeah, I like that. So yeah, his first encounter will inevitably result in him doing a thing and finding out that he can do a thing. I had no idea I could do a thing. Oh, um, is he scared of what he can do or is it Exciting. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Because, you know, you got you got sort of a two-pathway there. Some people are terrified of what they realize they're capable of, and some people are like, fuck, that's awesome. 
Well, I mean, I mean, I guess that could be a case. How is what is the relationship with the fant- the Church of Phantasology going to be? Is he going to be? Re- does he need them for something? Uh, Elrond pushed him in that direction. The Church of Phantasology is a cult to the Zodiac, and Elrond is sort of well, he was a high priest kind of guy. Oh, okay, I have an idea. Um, so. He walks in there and they have this situation where he accidentally makes a simple thing flat with his his whatever and his mojo. his mojo and he is somewhat alarmed and everybody else is somewhat alarmed and so they feel threatened by him so they threaten him and because he's threatened by them he demonstrates a larger example of the Midas touch turning some turning maybe one of them into or even a part of them flatter and that that at that point <laughs> I just thought I just thought of touching a particular part of a person, and now he's got like a flat, he's a flat arm, noodle arm. Hanging, yeah, that's pretty funny. But but and then and then that's when they the like obviously more fear, but also then they're like, oh oh, maybe that somehow fulfills a prophecy of some sort, and that's when they start revering him. I don't know. Oh, I yeah, I like that. Okay, Thinos is concerned. Thinos is scared by that. Elrond is the one who's elated. Mm, yeah. He loves that. Oh, there you go. Yeah, fear, fear on the face, but delight in the brain. <laughs> yeah, the, vo- the voice in the head. Yeah, because then we immediately have a point uh, where the two the two voices in there are in disagreement. Does the voice right coach him through it and like convince him that it's okay and and like uh, yeah, yeah, I think relax into it. Yeah, I think that should be. Because at this at at current point, Elrond is presenting himself as a, as a mentor or a guide, right? So he'd be like, "Ah, don't worry, this is good, this is great. Show them your power." Noodle arm, yeah. <laughs> but of course, Elrond will be able to coach Thanos on just what to say that will get either some clout or some respect or at least some level of cooperation with these these churches. <laughs> just had a, a vision of it being like uh in um edward scissorhands how he starts doing everyone's hair everybody loves it so much this guy starts he everybody all, all the women get their hair uh like flat ironed <laughs> <laughs> by his hand it's, it's so much easier to curl this <laughs> way on i that's actually a really funny way to do it show him briefly riding high on his power <laughs> Okay, I think I think I think we're starting with thinning out. Then I guess I like so. that. Now, one of the things I did want to explore with this particular part was the 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 sort of feedback relationship between Tucker and Todd and their creation Thinos. Oh, wait a second, though. I just have one one thing. Is that is that sort of like a uh, what's it called a paradox sort of sorts? He's he has no. It's going way too far to. I don't know. Because he's oh, he is he's it's thinning out, but it's also uh, flattening. We're doing two different things, so he can flatten women's hair, but when he touches men's hair, it thins it out. <laughs> they all go bald. <laughs> That's really funny. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's I think that's something we can reasonably play with, so long as we call it out. No, it's flattened. It's thinned out. What do you want? These mean the same thing to me. Thanos is not not a, like a complex character, so his no. understanding of these things is very simplistic. Okay, but what was the point that you were going to get to with him? Right. Uh, I wanted to discuss 
the sort of feedback relationship between Tucker and Todd and Thanos. Such as, uh, for instance, if if the comic originally has like a poor launch, it's not well received, and Tucker and Todd are despondent and sad about it, could that cause Thanos to go into a depressive state? If they are despondent, like, oh, is is there that much of a link between them? That's what I'm asking is if if there is that something we can really play with, like if Thanos starts doing really well, do the boys start thriving? Is it like, that strong? And does it go both ways if there is one? How exactly would there be one? Because they created him with the comic. Yeah, Yeah, they thought him into existence and do their thoughts continue to influence him? Because in, in, in this particular instance, they're not just sad about nothing. They're sad about the comic that created him. Or rather, they're sad about the situation around it. If it's I, not well received, they're I sad and bitter. Like, I kind of want to make it conditional and special. Like, like do, do their thoughts influence him when they're specifically working on the comic? Yeah. But not all. But when if they're not working on the comic, then there's not a link. Yeah, yeah, that, yes. I, or, there's, rather... or, or there's a link when he's doing something specific. Now that's a more interesting question. What what kind of specific thing would he have to be doing or have on his mind to be able to in, influence them back? That's <laughs> the stupid first thought that I had was when he's on the toilet shitting. They're like super powered on the other end. <laughs> but we're, we're not doing that. <laughs> when, when he's producing shit, it goes the other <laughs> <Yeah>. way. <laughs> <laughs> funny first thought yeah yeah but it would have to all be my first thought though, like dude, i'm coming <laughs> um that's also a pretty good first thought like when but yeah if not... if he's if he's able to influence them back it would have to be something stupid like that i guess maybe at first oh does him using his powers actually drain them in some way it actually Oh, drains like their that. creative power. The but umbilical then, cord hasn't been cut yet, so he's still feeding off of them. But then, when he starts becoming more powerful and actually sucking the, when he starts consuming other people's depth, that gives. Oh, maybe that's the way that starts giving them metaphysical depth. We can skip the idea of him draining metaphysical depth. Him sucking the 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 dimension the dimension the dimension out of things gives them substance which they start putting into their comic which creates a feedback loop of increasing his powers i like that and All that's right. when he yeah. becomes a havoc machine yeah i like that so when he feeds excess actually winds up going to them yeah but that uh, yeah also that, be that's why, why it's also be why he never gets full yeah right yeah it it, it's a, it drains right out into them that's interesting the more he feeds the more he needs is there some sort of uh, conceptual link between sort of like a, a Kirby-esque uh, relationship between what he consumes and how it empowers Tucker and Todd? Oh, I like that. So so he not just like transferring raw energy, but also like traits and features. Affixes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Does he take them on to himself and share them with the boys, or just one way? Maybe one, and then it starts to become the other, etc. Because I do like the idea, especially if we do it like very Kirby-esque. So 
you know, like how Kirby would wind up wearing a freaking Mario hat. Yeah. I, I love the design of how they, they did the Kirbyisms. Yeah. They just take one defining feature and just give it to Kirby. Yeah. I think we can do that. But I like the idea that it uh, at first it drains the boys, which of course will weaken Thinos as well through the, the negative feedback loop. Right. But eventually it will result in empowering them. We're, we're doing a delimiting narrative and we didn't even know it. Oh, yeah. But I, I wanted to... This this was kind of an excuse to have the boys visit Camelot. Oh, why are they going to Camelot? To get well, drained? <laughs> I'm getting deeper! For, for a start, yes. They were going to go uh, visit the Shake Shack because they, they're feeling despondent and they need a pick-me-up. And while they're there, they get a lecture from a, a very wise nurse about the benefits of c- bringing things to completion or, so is it, i it can't remember what, up. what is the shake shack is that also a jerk off uh, that was that was the joke we we made about that must be the back room at come a lot that's that must be the that must be the colloquial name everybody's given it it's the shake shack I'm trying to make a a, a, confu- a misdirect and I'm, I don't think misdirect is the word, but like a, a com- I'm not sure of the name of the joke structure archetype that I'm describing, but they aren't paying attention. They walk in, they're talking to each other, they're looking down, they say, could we get two vanilla shakes? And then something gets pixelated and they both jump back in surprise and go, hey, whoa. And That's not vanilla. <laughs> oh sorry this isn't the shake shack or oh sorry this is the shake shack (laughs) (laughs) is this what you is this what your plan was todd i mean it was definitely stan's idea for them to go visit come a lot or go get her shake down there's a uh old like riverboat uh style joint on on like by the on the pier but instead of casino it's the uh the tugboat Oh, shit. <laughs> well, now that has to be a thing. <laughs> yeah. That's that's like river access mobile on-demand come-a-lot service. Yeah. The, the boat. Oh, that's funny. That's a, a service they offer. Do you, like, <laughs> when you go to Chicago, they have the fucking duck tours and whatnot. You gotta yeah. go, and they, and they have, do you boys want the riverboat package? Huh? <laughs> we offer the tugboat during summer hours. Yeah, it's, it's. It's like the, it's like getting one of the boat services in Venice. They just, you put in a call. It's like a taxi cab, but for the river access, but it's the tugboat. That's great. I'm glad that's getting saved. <laughs> Forever. Eternity. Forever end. and ever. So yeah. All right. So the comic has, has a, a poor initial response. It's it Tucker's insistence. They don't do drafts. So they release the roughest draft they have. Against Todd's better judgment, it doesn't go so well. They're despondent about it. They need a pick-me-up. The nurse at, at Camelot gives them a, a brief lecture during their service about the benefit oh, of bringing things to completion. Do we see that we don't do drafts? Do we see the, the first, uh, like, version one, and it's all, like, stick figures? and? Well, if 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 Tucker manages to convince Todd to let him draw it, that's what it would. Sh- that's what it would look like. Is Tucker scribbles. is not an artist. Todd, on the other hand, is more of an artist. But it would be the very first ever draft for a storyboard, probably the roughest of line work. Yeah. 
but but Tucker, I'm not finished. It, it's going out. It's ready for release. You know how I feel about draft. First draft, best draft. I was, I was gonna, my first joke always when anybody says draft is, you know how I feel about drafts. And a giraffe walks in. <laughs> uh, and that Somebody comes, call me. That, that comes from when I used to ha- have to take a bath as a child. My mom would always insist that the door had to be closed because we didn't want to let a draft in. But I didn't, that was, I didn't understand that word. And I thought she was saying let a giraffe in. So the moment she would leave, I would go and open the door because I wanted a draft to come in the door. I was taking a yeah. bath. I want to meet a giraffe. <laughs> yeah. Hey, could you hand me that towel over there? Especially yeah, if no the, problem. The Toys R Us giraffe? Is he going to bring me Batmans? Batman, Wolverine, a Transformer. Yeah, super Yeah, I love this toy. It used to be a bus. Now it's a guy. <laughs> By the way, there's no towel in the bathroom. No problem for a giraffe. He just reaches his dumb head into the other room. This Batman spaceship thing that I have shoots darts that I can send into my brother's ear canal. I had lots of those. Oh, yeah. And I lost the darts to all of them within the first day of having any of them. Yep. Pretty parents, much without um, fail. I don't think, I don't even know if they got taken. I just, you know, I'm like, I'm, I was one of those little assholes who would take my toys out everywhere with me when I was a real little kid. And if they had a little shooty thing, I would, I would absolutely aim it at somebody at the table adjacent to us at a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Ping. <laughs> yeah, I also, I should admit right now that I had terrible aim. Still do, but it was worse then. And yeah. so... You know, I would overshoot, and I'd just never see it again. I'd go look, and it'd be gone. Did you have anything that was given to you as a gift, which your parents simply just took away and pretended they didn't? Uh, I don't think so. I can't re- I can't think of anything, and I, I'm quite sure that if that had occurred, I would, hold, I would hold on to that trauma to this day, so I'd be able to point it out. I know for, my mom took my uh, Nirvana Nevermind t-shirt away, because it has a baby penis on it. Ah, well, I can assure you that I never got any baby penis gifts. No. The other one was uh, a Beastmasters VHS. I think it was determined that it was too violent and it just disappeared. Was it Beastmasters or Beast Wars? Uh, the one with like now, the now that I Scorpio think about it, and... it might have been Beast Wars. I loved Beast Wars, man. Yeah. Pretty sure that was made by the same Canadian company that did Reboot, and I loved Reboot. Yeah, it was. I think we just... We, oh, yeah, we talked about this recently. We discussed Yeah. I said recently. It's probably a year ago. <laughs> I Yeah, I think... It, I mean, a year ago seems like yesterday to me these days. True. Time goes okay, real where fast. Okay, where were we? I think... Come a lot? There were a couple of gifts that I had taken away, but then, like, later given back when I was deemed to be more mature. Appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Flashlight. <laughs> Wasn't ready for that. <laughs> you can have this when you've come of age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh boy! Now, I actually that makes me want to think about what kind of gifts Tucker and Todd might get that their straight woman would immediately take away from them, like over the top things, like brass knuckles. Yes, an, an AK forty-seven. No more guns. You know the rules. You've lost your gun privileges, boys. You all right? Yeah, I'm just so burpy. Um, but now I'm thinking of. I got distracted by like a, a trailer for a coming of age tale, and then it just cuts to the whole thing is pixelated with a mess of. <laughs> that's that's very funny. That's that Locker seems like one of those. 
yeah, that seems like one of those barely legal, like, last month she couldn't do this kind of films. Yeah. Coming of age. And then... Oh, yeah. What's gross. But, but if, bad, it was, bad if it was reversed... 18th birthday. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, but that's always so gross. So we'll obviously we'll have to subvert it somehow. Uh, where were we though? Like we were talking we, about we were at we were going to come lot. Where the the boys not only do the boys need to sort of oh I I apologize in advance for this take a load off yeah, <laughs> but they also need sort of a lesson in not giving up. They need to bring their project to completion. That's that's one of the sort of the themes of the season is finishing your work. And that's where they learn it. So it, are they actually struggling? They're distracted by their despondency. They're actually struggling with their uh, their rub and tug or whatever is going on. And one of the nurses gives them like a, a motivational speech about how. You... But she, she does it in like a sexy voice. So it works. <laughs> not only can you not give up it once if you. How, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to do a play on giving up and get giving it up and getting it up. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm here for it. <laughs> she probably she probably has to give this motivational speech at least six times a day. She's used to it. She knows exactly what to say. And do you see you her? Must... She's just it's under it's off camera. You can see her face and her shoulders, but you can oh, see yeah. her her arm doing the motion as she gives her. There's like any given Sunday music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's and it's what. Yeah, it's it's a, a speech from the heart, but you can definitely see the shoulder motion. But she's so she's so calm and casual about it. Do we do a fourth wall break? She's giving her speech, and it cuts to the director sitting in the director's chair. He's got a tear rolling in his eye. Everybody stands <laughs> up and cheers. <laughs> Somebody hands him an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a Harvey moment. Yeah. Something to think about for sure. I like that. Yeah. But but it works. It works. Not only does this clear the uh, the pipes in their in their dopamine receptors, but it it inspires them to go home and resume their work and actually bother to make an iterative draft. They're immediately inspired. Both stand up with the chest out. You see the nurse wince and grimace. Oh yeah, because neither of them have their pants on. No camera, but of course camera shifts up, pans up. To... Oh yeah. Wait, Todd doesn't have pants, does he? Yes, he does. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Of course he does. Oh, I'm maybe sure. in, instead of the camera panning up, maybe this is time for really? the view from behind so you can see the cheeky butts. Haven't we already? Yeah, I know that we do have cheeky butts, but haven't we already established that we're like Ken dolls? Or is that not a thing? I don't think that's a thing. If it is, I think it's one of those we're cartoon characters, so we have whatever anatomy is, you know, most useful at the time. Or is this where we make a joke the whole time and she wasn't actually jerking us off. She was stirring. <laughs> stirring something. <laughs> this was real good. That's funny. What, uh, and of course, whatever she's stirring would be totally unrelated to her work at, at this. Right. Well, it would be a respectable facility. It's Shake Shack. We might have to call it something else since Shake Shack is actually. I think it is. Yeah. A registered trademark. I think it all started when I was thinking about shake weights. Um, but they they take their lesson to heart. They're all works. better now. It yeah, it works. So they return home and immediately set to work on a better iterative version of the comic. Which I because I think this little despondent period and and the low level of production 
will will visibly kind of show a a weakening diminishing effect on Thanos, but then the their reinvigorated production will bring him back. He'll be more and better. And that'll be enough to show at least for now the sort of relationship that they have. So they come they come back more and better and so being more and better that makes their output of the comic more and better and putting out a more and better comic makes Thanos more and better? Yes, exactly. And when, so. and, and when Thanos starts noticing that he's becoming more and better, that's when he... Does he actually... He's abandoned by Elrond's voice until he starts noticing that, and then once he starts feeling his powers, that's when Elrond comes back to explain them? Abandoned by Elrond's voice. So El- Elrond goes quiet? I'm not sure. I was just trying to play on because here you have does Elrond raise his spirits, but we're having his spirits raised through Tucker and Todd, I think. And so I'm just trying to replace that with a visit from Elrond for a reason. or not. Oh, I, I do think that uh, Elrond's voice in Thanos's head might be an opportunity for us to kind of make fun of the, well, just don't think about it kind of attitude. Oh, people around him or who who's saying just don't think about it? Elrond is telling Thanos, you feel, well, just don't dwell on it. It being his... His, his depressive state. Okay. His negative feelings. El- Elrond probably isn't a very good guide when it comes to emotional health. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of where you are. How to transition from here? <laughs> I think the best place to transition from here is just back to Tucker and Todd and possibly verbalizing out loud, wondering what jay is up to where do you think she is right now if they're talking about her at all but if they're in high spirits they're probably comfortable enough to to mention this lady who has left them well i'm trying to because so technically is this a sec is this the second episode of this season this is episode three. Oh, this is three okay so she has already visited her parents yes she's and visited episode... her parents and the episode... adoption agency Episode, oh, oh, so she's been to the adoption agency, and then where does adoption agency send her to? The adoption agency sends her to the Hall of Records, where I was thinking about doing a sort of a parody of uh, a sleuth investigating an archive of some kind sort of scene, like you would see in the Da Vinci Code or in National Treasure. Right. When you start looking through the dusty old books in the back room of the archive and, it, and reading it, code. chapter one. Yeah reading code did you say yeah there's always some kind of code on the back of a book or some oh, kind of cipher for a new way of interpreting a piece of written information be like ah actually what it says is this because it we understand that jay's father has destroyed or otherwise you know hidden or encrypted a lot of the records related to her adoption but i think it's reasonable that he would have left clues that he knows that Jay would be able to, you know, put back together as a detective. I'm also trying to, like, should we make fun of, like, come up with silly ridiculous? Like, she has to literally solve one of those. Prove that you like, are human. You know, no, I was going to do say, like, a beat the, like, I can't remember what, like, one of those rail tracer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There's a metal wire and you have a little loop on it and you got to get it from one end to the other without it beeping. I like that. Yeah. She has to actually do totally unrelated puzzle stuff. Yeah, she finds a book, and behind it, there's a puzzle. Solve for X. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's yeah, a, there's, there's a, <laughs> a whiteboard a with an equation problem. on it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that, yeah. There's Clues quicksand. were left, but, but puzzles were put in their place. Quicksand with, like, a vine over it you have to swing on. 
oh, that opens up all kinds of opportunities for playing around with bike traps. Yeah, the whole thing. The mm-hmm. ball rolling down the cave. Ball we haven't done that one in a long time. I think we did do... Oh, right. We had it in episode one. Yeah, it was way back, and it yeah. was a boob. Oh, right. We had that too, yeah. <laughs> and it made the squeaky toy noise as it went. Yeah, that's out there. Yeah, this is yeah. This is our opportunity to redeem ourselves. Ooh, man. So, uh, oh, um, so yeah. Jay has visited her parents. She's gone to the ad- adoption agency that has become the adaption agency. We played around with that. All right. So she was directed from there by Nancy. Funny enough, to the Hall of Records. So Jay's on her way there. But we also have sort of one of the people in the adaption agency is an informant. Do you think it should be Nancy? Wait, one of the people... First of all, how is my voice here? Sound okay to me. Okay, I'm trying to find a sitting position that works for me. I'm getting tired. Um, <laughs> standing sucks. Standing does suck. But, especially when there's really you no know, pacing room. Um, I can only hear me in one ear now. I think that might be my ear. One second as I pop this. Okay. Um, Nancy, like from the, the diner or whatever... From shooters, yeah. From shooters, she is at the adaption agency. Yeah, and I think we we um, originally the adaption agency was something much much worse, and Nancy was there. After we made it into the adaption agency instead, we just never put anybody in Nancy's place. Okay, we can was absolutely there... retire her and put someone else there. Yeah, what like was there a good reason or joke for her being there, or she just it was just a matter of convenience at the time. She was, well, she's, she works as a bartender at Shooters. Right. And the place that the adoption agency initially became was a type of a bar. So she was waitressing. The place that the adoption agency initially became? Yeah, it was a strip club of a kind, but we decided that it was actually too crass and stupid. So we decided to go with making the adoption agency transition into the adaption agency. Right. Okay. I think I remember that conversation. I don't remember exactly how it got to be that thing. Was it, we were trying to make it a sad place to be. We were trying to make it basically our the concept that was the most opposed to an adoption agency that was possible. Right. Okay. The the hardest heel turn. And so we adapted it. Yeah, and uh, it turns out that our heel turn, uh, you know, with a little bit of hindsight, was too much. Too stupid, too ugly. So we decided to make it into the adaption agency. So right. yeah, so I don't now think, I don't Nancy, think Nancy belongs there. Yeah, um, that's kind of funny though. The idea of it being like a character that you do, like like when I'm trying to think of um, an example. I guess it's sort of. I guess we have done this, but like a Nurse Joy. Yeah, like it's, and in, and in fact, that's kind of what we were kind of modeling Mega Doodoo on in the first place right yeah she's an individual these days but our very first idea for her was that every branch of government had its own mega doo-doo right and every every town had its own mega doo-doo well do but we want to yeah i like we want to do that with with this character create a character that just kind of seems to work everywhere and you can't tell if it's a different person or their same named relative or something a clone or yeah i like that so they always show up with like the most minor of physical differences like in one incarnation guy has a mustache in one incarnation he does not 
Yeah, and that can be a running joke, and it can be any filler. Like they can be, he can be like a freaking senator, or he can be a a, a, a janitor, a Shake, a shake Shack janitor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and oh yeah, maybe it's maybe it's one big extended family, and they're all cousins, and they all have a name that rhymes, or oh, it's so one nice. guy working every yeah. job, never explained. But but whoever is encountered is also an informant for Mega Doodoo because I think Mega Doodoo would have known that Jay was adopted out of that particular place, but all the records were expunged. So that's technically the end of the line of her investigation. So she would leave somebody there in case anybody ever came looking for information. Well, now that's interesting. So she has access to this net. Are all of the lookalikes or whatever, is this her network of, are these her little oh, birds? Oh, they're her plants. I like yeah. that. Every single one of them is one of her fingers in a pot somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. They're hers. We've seen into her office before, in her in her government office as Congress judge. Right. Maybe all of her employees should actually be, be that guy. So it actually, every now and then we see that there are, in fact, a ton of There's like four or five of them in there. <laughs> they all look up alarmed at the camera and slam the door closed. Oh, yeah. Upon being discovered. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's so, yes, Jay will leave the adaption agency and that guy will you know wish her well good luck i hope you find what you're looking for and then as soon as the door closes calls up make a doo-doo i might have something for you etc now i'm envisioning kind of a guy a guy that looks kind of like a clark kenty kind of guy but what are, what are you envisioning for him oh let's see uh, additionally i like i'm, a, a I'm mr saying, bean kind of character yeah i remember a sketch where bill Hader played a hundred different characters who were all related to each other oh yeah but it just, it made me think of that. A Bill Hader, mousy kind of. Yeah. But I, I believe it was an SNL sketch. Oh, I, I think they, they were all identical, except for like tiny differences, like a mustache. And they oh. all insisted that they had no relation to each other and didn't know who each other was. Never heard of I don't. Them. I don't know this man. <laughs> but, oh, and all their names rhyme. Of course. I don't, I do not know this man. But that, that was what made me think of that. But um... focusing, focusing back onto Jay... Yeah, you have all these questions. Which is where we are. Uh, does she have any kind of random encounter on her way to the Hall of Records? Just to, just to break it up, or do we want to have her transition immediately from that point to the Hall of Records itself to talk to a secretary or receptionist or librarian? Well, so how did... So she, the last interaction we saw with her was to be sent to the Hall of Records? Yeah, just pointed in that direction. If there's anything left of the information about your adoption, it will be kept there, which is where everything from the adoption agency that we still had went. Well, maybe, maybe I mean, we could do an interaction if we you can think of anyone, but maybe just to fill time, we could start with her doing uh, a monologue, like from Kill, a driving monologue, like from Kill Bill 2. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because I think by now she's in her straight detective persona, and you know how she loves monologues. Yeah, so she can so do right a, up her alley. a little catch-up. Oh, up. yeah, yeah, she can do, she can do a monologue exposition catch-up thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, that's perfect, during a driving scene. Or maybe she's taking a cab so that, like, the cab driver ends the things like, you're the weirdest fucking fair ever had. Oh, that's so, yeah, that's funny. It's it, always better when somebody else witnesses her monologue and is 
Do we do we film it? We set it up to make it look like she's driving and then reveal that she's actually in the front passenger seat and the taxi driver just looks kind of disturbed. <laughs> yes, that's very good. That's the best way to do it. She's actually, she's actually got her arms out in front of her. I'm pantomiming it right now. She's like acting like she's steering. Yes. Yes, <laughs> of course. And we'll have to include like some road noise so that like you can see her move her shoulders like when the car turns. Yeah. Or, or the, you know, turn on the blinker. Or even she's like got a honk. She's got the sunglasses on like Beatrix Kiddo. She whips them off her face. They hit the taxi driver in the face. That's when it cuts over to him. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> Camera <Ma'am. level>. yeah. <laughs> I put up with a lot. <laughs> but you're going to have to get out. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, that's the best thing I can think of, yeah. <laughs> that's an excellent catch-up and a great joke. Uh, yeah, and then from there, then she can just, you know, whatever. It's whatever. She's she's always totally playing it cool when she gets caught monologuing. It's like it doesn't even matter to her. It doesn't even happen. Yeah, she just rolls it into the monologue. So she, yeah, she exactly. So I paid him and left the cab. <laughs> that was the weirdest cab driver I ever had, you know. He's, he's, he's giving her the what the fuck. Yeah, she's still just talking to herself, ignoring me. Just gives her disgusted look, rolls up the window, and drives away. Vroom. Can't get oh, out of there fast enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want cab like a New York cab driver. That yeah. kind of attitude. All right, so we're in the Hall of Records now. That yeah, we've we're in because we don't need to. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna assume that it's got like the you know the big front building, the big double doors, big yeah. stairs. You know the wide, big grand yeah. pillars. The whole thing. Yeah, that kind a ro- of a rotunda. Yeah, exactly. One of those. So we get a quick shot of that and then bam, interior front desk or, you know, librarian help desk of some kind because people have to come in here and find stuff. Is it? Oh, is it our, our placeholder works everywhere guy? And it's straight detective. Oh. Isn't it? ah! <laughs> yes, yes, it should be. He pops up behind the desk. Oh, that's the perfect way to immediately start getting a payout at a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to have the cab driver be <laughs> but I think that might be too much. Yeah. <laughs> then every character that isn't Jay in this sequence is that guy. That'd be too much. A nightmare. <laughs> funny, that but too much. Very, but, yeah. That would be funny if it was. The ta- I'm temp- like the taxi driver is pretty funny. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's tempting, but I think it it's funnier if it is the clerk at the desk in the Hall of Records, and yeah. that gives that actually does give Straight Detective a jump. Especially if she's like halfway through finishing her monologue about the taxi driver. Yeah, this guy pops up with it with a very slightly adjusted accent. He's got a mustache and he's in a bellhop costume. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. He's in a bellhop costume. She's alarmed. And he goes, oh, sorry. And she starts to ask for help or whatever. And he goes, oh, I don't work here. He runs out. He works at the the hotel. <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry. I don't work here. <laughs> that's too funny. Okay, then who who comes out after he leaves? Who actually works here? <laughs> Or is it actually like a self-help kiosk? Real people don't work here anymore. Oh, I don't know. Um, What would it be? This is the Hall of Records. This is a cheeky dick in a bellhop costume. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I got gotcha. you. I don't even work here. Run out the door. <laughs> well, not okay. now that I've got my thing about like, why would he be doing it? He's got like a selfie stick. He's a, a VTuber or whatever. Not a VTuber. Whatever. Um, What are they called? Live bloggers? Live yeah, bloggers. it could be. Yeah, you just... He's just, yeah, he just, uh, oh, that's for all my subscribers. <laughs> yeah. Run out the door. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Um, But the guy, oh. so now there's an actual guy behind the desk. Is the actual guy behind the desk? So was that guy? <laughs> I've got too many things. Too many hats on hats. That's, it's, that idea is too funny not to have it now. But I do, yeah, somebody should like rise up out of nowhere behind the desk. How can I help you? But now, should, now should this like, be that guy do, again? Do you work here? That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> do you if work? Just... Yes, of course. <laughs> just yeah, like with mutton chops now or something. Ali. He takes her on a whole tour, finally gets her to exactly where she needs to be. She asks one last question. He goes, Oh, I don't know. I don't work here. He bounces off. And then she is actually where she needs to be, though. Can we do that joke twice? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't think you can. I think the second time everybody's kind of waiting for it, especially I, if he's I in a slightly silly costume. I don't work here. But and I think maybe he takes her where she has to go and she turns around and he's not there anymore. That always creates Batman. a sort of a, a, a yeah. Oh, she, oh, and he's like, <clears throat> and turned around the other way and he's there. I like subverting. <laughs> oh, the, oh, he's not gone. He just, we looked the wrong direction. I do like that, yeah. I, I, I love subverting things like that. Is this what you were looking for, ma'am, et cetera? So now she's got... The, the section that she's looking for, the records for that particular space, it's probably like an almost entirely empty shelf. There's just like one little like cardboard filing box, a bank box. What record was she looking for? Why was she being sent She's again? looking for adoption records that will be preserved from when the adoption agency was still in use. Okay. She was directed here because presumably all of the records that the adoption agency did have were transferred here when it shut down. Are we looking f whose records are we looking for? Jay is looking for the records of her birth parents. Okay. The records which have either been destroyed or otherwise obfuscated by her father, who was trying to protect Jay from her mother, who is the worst. The mega doo doo. Yeah. The absolute worst. But I like I like the idea that Jay's father, rather than outright destroying everything, would instead kind of breadcrumb it for her. I mean, he couldn't have known that she would become a detective, but daddy's going to leave you some clues. But that's that's when she starts looking through the files. And of course, the ones that she wants are, of course, not there. But maybe as she's picking through the, the file folders and stuff, a little like note can fall out. And it, you know, follow the white rabbit kind of thing. Wait, a note falls out from one of the records. And so who would have left that? Somebody who what? wants Jay to find the truth. What white rabbit is it pointing to? I think that's the part where we need to have it. Uh, it directs her to like a, a sort of an employees only section of the Hall of Records here where we can find like a, an old section, old, old, old section underneath all the stuff that we currently have. That's where the traps and stuff are. That's where mm. our that's where our Da Vinci code catacombs, the, the, the vault and all that is. Oh, like literally, I don't, I don't, can't remember specifically from Da Vinci Code, but the angels and demons, when he goes into the basement of the, what's it called in Rome? Oh, Vatican. Vatican? Yeah, he goes into the basement and that's where 
all like the Catholics, uh, or the Catholic churches, like Nazi treasures are and whatnot. Yeah. Cause I, I, I think that her father now, of course, I don't think her father would have. Oh, okay. So if it's her father who left the note, he can't be dead or at least he couldn't have died before he left the note unless he's got somebody else have doing said, this for him. Have we said who her father is? Fedorel. Oh. The last <laughs> son of <laughs> Captain. Right. Because he's from like the, the cat. Yeah. Capton. Yeah. Fedorel. Yeah. Okay, but so yeah, he, he so he is so he is an alien then and he is alive? Yeah, I think I think he's alive but like in hiding keeping his distance from jay for her own safety is she going to meet him or does he have like a new family that she meets that's an interesting question and i wonder if mega doo shouldn't find him first oh it's is an she... opportunity for a villain establishing moment for mega doo and to raise the stakes does she know that jay is seeking him and so she goes to get to him first well, now that she's got an, an, a little network of informants telling her that somebody is starting to dig up dirt on this adoption agency. Ah, right, yeah. I think she's going to get hyper-focused on following that trail. Because we do have a part where Megadoodoo follows that trail in this, but she actually visits Jay's adoptive parents instead. So we get to, we get to play around with how menacing she can be. So she, Okay, and we get to play with how menacing she can be also make it seem like she's two steps behind but if she goes to the parents messes with them she knows that the next step is going to be the father so she can kind of skip a couple steps and end up ahead of jay yes especially if if megadudu threatens jay's adoptive parents there's a very high likelihood that that's actually going to cause jay to abandon the quest and go to them right true so you know if if you create problems at home you can force the hero to come home instead of continuing their quest now are we going to harm or eliminate either of these parents or is it just a threat i think i think it should just be a threat also i think it's an opportunity to show just how freaking wily these parents are okay if 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 you recall the dad is a hatter but he's he's like an inventor who creates all kinds of gadgets that are hat related right so you know if you ask me every gadget is just like one bad situation away from being weaponized. He pulls a um. Oh shit! What's his like name? Like a hat stretcher, make gives her like right in the face something. What's the guy from James Bond? Q. With the hat. No, with the hat. Oh, odd job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He throws, he throws job, a. Bro. Yeah, he he just like throws a regular felt hat at her. And just like gets in her face. She's like. <laughs> oh, that's or... actually kind of funny. He throws it at her, but it just kind of yeah, like you said, it hits her in the face, falls to the ground. And she kind of looks up, um, or whoever's pursuing. Um, yeah, it's her, right? It's Mega Doo Doo, and she looks up, kind of like satisfied, like with that kind of like, ha ha. You thought that was going to do something, was that, but then yeah, was that supposed to hurt? Explosives like fly out of the hat or something. <laughs> Fireworks hat. <laughs> yeah. And they said that this would never get approved. <laughs> yeah. They said there was no practical application to the fireworks hat. <laughs> they said I was a madman. <laughs> stuff like that yeah but uh yeah there, a clue will be left for jay in this filing in this bo bank box it will direct her to you know the da vinci code kind of 
Should still have to press a button on a on a statue or like pull on a gargoyle's wing and then the the wall will spin around and she'll wind okay. up in some hidden place and then she has to go through her her prove that you know she has to do some puzzles some of them are really silly some of them are just like spike traps to find actual clues actual information maybe it's just like go to such and such a place so this what she finds here simply directs her to the next location classic scavenger hunt yeah exactly because there there have to be multiple levels of of obfuscation in order to both protect it, jay and protect fedorel does it simply say the location or is it a, a, a riddle i like the idea of it being a riddle but i can't think of a good one off the top of my head oh you can't do riddles off the top of your head riddles must be crafted yeah, uh, not only does a riddle have to be crafted, but it has to be crafted appropriate to the location, and I think that means we have to come up with the location and then reverse engineer a riddle for it. Oh, the location of where she's going? Yeah. So she should probably, whatever the next location is, should probably give her an actual helpful piece of information that can move her forward, right? Rather than just... I, I agree, I agree. Steps. I don't want to go from place to place to place to place to place. Yeah. I think next place she should actually have an encounter with a person who knows something. Mm -hmm. Now, should we do, should, have we done too many misdirects already? Should she be sent to a person, but when she gets there, either a, what what is it in Skyrim when you go to get the, is it the helm of whatever the fuck and it's already, or the mask of something and uh, what's her tits already took it? Oh, and she leaves you a note? Yeah. Bitch. Um, so like, uh, one of the, she, we think that she's going to go meet someone useful and it's either somebody who was turned, that person who was useful was turned or she was, oh, she's been beat. Mega Doodoo beat her parents. Oh, is Mega Doodoo or one of her flunkies at the place she goes to? For a misdirection, have you seen the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? I know it was a shitty movie, but some yeah, parts saw, of it were interesting. I, I saw it when it came out. Do you remember the beginning when there was a government agent going looking for Alan Quartermain and he wound up talking to just like any old English hunter who happened to be at the lot? Not really. Alan Quartermain was sitting nearby listening while this guy was talking. Okay, of course I'm, I'm Alan Quartermain. Yeah. And then they get to a point in the conversation where the real Alan Quartermain turns and says, actually, that's me. Okay. I was thinking about that kind of redirect where there's, you know, Jay starts talking to this one person who's pretending to be who she's looking for. Just kind of oh. like to to prove that she's the one that they want to be talking to. Is this so? Is this a fairly crowded place where there is a bunch of people, or it's a relatively empty? Let's place say and... let's say it's minimally populated, like some kind of monument or okay, yeah, like a, the, I was a, a museum. Yeah, I'm. And they meet at a. I'm, I'm thinking about something like the Jefferson Memorial or a place where there will be people, but maybe not a lot, and there will right. be places where you can have a quiet conversation yeah but there's enough of a crowd for you to disappear into if you have to okay something like that and also if it's like a, a, a an easily recognized public location it'll make making a riddle for it easier too oh that's kind of funny because i kind of want to clown on um national treasure a little bit so the clue makes it sound like it is some big national monument but it's actually like a fast food place like the first thing that popped into my mind was the clue for the Liberty Bell, but it ends up being a Taco Bell. <laughs> it's right up our alley. Yeah. Yeah, I like... Okay, yeah, okay. Um, 
half and half, maybe. Maybe it can be sort of like a, a memorial or a museum, but it's been corporatized, so it, now it's a fast food chain. Something, something like, to that effect. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, did you know? This is a random piece of information. Did you know that? Oh, fuck, I forgot what the, even the detail was, what the stat was. It was about the amount of um, fights that break out between grown-ups at Chuck E. Cheese per year. Oh, I saw that. I saw that in something. I I got to listen to an entire did police you, phone the, call about a fight in Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, between yeah, that was, did you, the John Oliver piece. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I thought that that's was where it was. I feel. Like, did we have a play on Chuck E. Cheese that we were trying to play with? I feel like at one point, or am I thinking of the Wiley Coyote? We had Yippee Coyote. We had did a we... coyote, but I want to think that we had a place with a ball pit and stuff. Yeah, I feel like we did come up with. A place like that, that would have a name, but who knows. But as as for what's pertinent to this situation, for the sake of the riddle and a meeting place, I, it probably does have to be a location that there is only one location of. Like, it can't oh, be, that's you a know, a riddle point. that says, meet me at the Taco Bell. Like, which one? There's six on this street alone. Although that's oh. a different joke, is where you have to canvas each and every one. Have you seen this man? Is it, is it like, it's the KFC at the monument place? I like that. Do we have Do we have a jokey food chain? I think we just have like a couple of standalone jokey diners. Yeah. I guess we're going to have to get one. Or we do like the Starbucks joke. Meet me at the like the meet me at the Starbucks at uh, Trafalgar Square and there's literally four. <laughs> Look at yeah, we get to have a scene where we're we're staring from her perspective at her written instructions and then she lowers them. And within the frame are four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. Boy, oi, oi. Yeah. Just the shoulders sag. <sighs> yes. Very, very much yes. But then, so ultimately, she is going to. Is, how do we. Do we just cut to. She's finally at the one she needs. Do oh, yes. Yeah. Some, do, some do sort we... of gag to imply that she's been through an ordeal to get there. She's got like a cat scratch. She oh, she's pulling a cat off of her face, and her sleeves are all rolled up and torn, and she's got a wet shoe. And oh yeah, that'll be the state she's in after she comes out of all of the traps and tricks and puzzles oh, and yeah. stuff. <laughs> with with her hands finally on her golden ticket, kind of last piece of instructions. Right. Which I think that's probably where we should leave her because just going through the sequence of all the traps after we've already had her do the rest of this searching right that's Although a maybe it does feel does it feel long enough which one jay's sequence where she you know has her monologue has her encounter with the desk clerk that doesn't work there and then the one that does yeah that's a long sequence if the next one after that is then the thinos of the church stuff yes and then finally we can transition from there at at we can transition from Jay at any point after she walks out of the trap sequence with her ticket yeah. with her clue. Uh, oh, yeah. Perfect. The, the way to close that out is Jay walks out of like a secret door that closes behind her. So her her trail is covered. Nobody saw her going. But she comes out in just like a yeah. Ace Ventura stepping out of the bathroom after getting into a fight with that shark. Do not go in there. So she's got, you know, tattered. She's got one shoe and it's wet. She, her hair's a mess. She's in bad shape, but she's got her clue. And then the clerk is like, I hope you found everything you were looking for. Smarmy. 
And so should that actually cut directly to Megadoodoo being informed? Because I feel like if you cut from J to Thinos and then have a whole sequence of him and then Yeah, I to... I at this point I I don't know if it's not better the way we've already ordered it as we've spoken about it. So we have Thinos first and then J and then directly to Megadoodoo from Yeah, okay. Because if we have I hope you found everything you're looking for and then cut from that to Megadoodoo standing outside of Jay's adoptive parents' home where she has found everything she's looking for. Ooh, perfect. You know, have the, the word sort of echo again, just as from now, now from Megadoodoo's perspective, as she walks up on this family home. Does she get some sort of like report on a radio or something like that from that um, informant at the adoption agency that the mark is on her way or something like that? And, and Megadoodoo can give some sort of remark of like, well, no matter we're X amount of steps ahead, etc. Yeah, I think that that little report should probably come immediately after Jay departs the adoption agency. Yeah. So the the frame will focus on our our guy there, our informant, as Jay leaves, and then he makes that call, and then we follow Jay after that, and then we bring it full circle to here, where Megadoodoo gets off the phone and steps out of her private car. We follow Jay. Oh, so you mean the report is given when she arrives, not after she leaves? The Yeah, the report is given after Jay leaves the adoption agency. Yeah. Oh, ad- and then, adoption and then, agency. Okay, not from yeah. the Hall of Records. Yeah. Somebody's snooping around looking for information at the adoption agency. Since we see the guy again, we can uh, immediately infer that he will also make a report. Mm, okay, okay, fair. And then we get to see later, after the transition, Megadoodoo getting out of her private car, maybe, and then finishing a phone call with we, presumably one of her informants. Have we described what Megadoodoo looks like before? Because I'm getting big Meryl Streep in what the Devil Wears Prada vibes. I think I think that's more or less what I have in mind, too. Yeah. A, a really, really intimidating matrix. That's the energy she has. She's just a formidable... Uh, Glenn Close as Cruella. Female presence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, do we have anything else to touch on Parents Trapped? Yeah, here, here's, here's one. Megadoodoo goes to their door. How pleasant is she at first? I, I think that she would she would be like really diplomatic and polite right away at the bat. I think she would be polite, but sort of soft-spoken. At least until she's in the door. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, how would she get in the door? Do they know that she's a threat immediately, or are they just able to respond to a threat quickly once they realize it? Yeah, I think I think it'll be the latter. I think she'll, she'll say something, or there'll be some kind of shift in tone where she comes off as immediately overtly and that'll clue them in, and then they're they're kind of just, like, ready. But I think at first... She's going to pretend to be someone official. I mean, she is Congress Judge Megadoodoo. Oh, is that who she appears as? And she uses her uh, celebrity status to sort of... Would you mind letting me in? I have some questions about your daughter. I think it should immediately relate to... Oh, is she in trouble? She was just here. No, she's not in any trouble. We just want to make sure she's all right. One of those home checkups. Yeah. That immediately become, what's she looking for? Where's she going? Where can I find her? What's she after? 
Well, then does she immediately present it as much more benevolent as though, like, if she's a congressman, they're, like, going to be, they're considering her for some sort of award or something? Uh, uh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> we're, we're, I'm here to honor her. I wanted to interview her family. Yeah, there you go. Some, something very benign like that, yeah. Something honor. that would catch them totally off guard. Rather but eventually than the questions, concerns. yeah, but eventually the questions she started asking about Jay start to start to make them suspicious, at least. Yeah. Start to be a little too interested in things that wouldn't be reasonably, you know, pertinent to such an award. But but this will be Megadudu's opportunity to get a little tour of their house, to see Jay's childhood bedroom, her hat collection, stuff like that. We always we always get to see those. That's always fun. Mm-hmm. Where the villain gets a little bit of insight into the personal life of the person they're after. But then, then we get to, oh, tea's ready. So they sit down, they have their little chat, the interview continues, and then more and more Megadudu makes them suspicious of her intentions. Now, does it really, do we really want a lot, does it need to be that drawn out more and more, or can we kind of like switch to, it's the amount of time that it takes for water to boil. She goes, Yeah, I think, I think that's what it should be. Oh, yeah, okay, no, um, even, even a little bit faster. Because the let's say they have one of those kettles that'll ding instead, and it's it, kind of like when the the clock strikes twelve at high noon. That's when the action begins. Yeah. When the kettle's finished boiling is when the action begins. She'll it, she'll it have managed real... to tip them off before that. Yeah. Oh, and so in, in the same way as sort of the um, very funny bitch uh, from Kill Bill Two. I think there's a sound effect like the toaster pops up or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, annoys, just annoys, like, a distraction and somebody yeah, a background a environmental pen. trigger and then bam, suddenly it's action. But it's it's the, <laughs> it's the fireworks hat. Oh yeah. Hat trick. And then the parents escape. Have you ever seen a hat trick? Oh, I like that. How about a hat trick? Are you a fan Something of hockey? Like <laughs> no, why? I love a hat trick. <laughs> Is a hat trick only in co- in hockey? I don't know. That's where I learned it from. Oh, yeah. It's a hat trick. It, it's the achievement of a positive feat three times in a match. Oh, okay. So three goals in a row is a hat trick. Yeah. But it would be reasonably ap- applicable to other things. Yeah. Don't don't mind those dogs that are barking now. I don't. They're, they're not real. Um, and so they... Yeah, what? they're on to her. The kettle dings. The action begins. Hat trick, I think the parents flee. Yeah, but so how, do they have like a bunker or do they have some sort of escape vehicle or what's the, how do they flee? Yeah, I think they just have like a car out the back. So Mega Doodoo will like follow them as far as the window and see that they're already driving. Okay. Damn. But maybe she'll conclude she got as much as she wanted out of them and she'll walk out to her car and tell somebody to be assigned to stay here in case they come back. Well, so what? Well, what did she want out of them? She was trying to find out as much about. Well, first she wanted to find out about Jay's childhood, since she's still curious about Jay herself. But also, I think she wants to find out what they know that Jay knows about the adoption, because they adopted her. She's she's trying to find you know those same breadcrumbs as Jay. She wants to find Fedorel. Oh, does she? So does she know that the person that's snooping around is her daughter? Or think, is it not not until she meets these parents and sees like a picture of her when she was young that she realizes, oh, 
the person snooping around the records of my daughter is my daughter. Yeah, I think that should be a really important realization. And I think that is when her tone shifts enough to make the adoptive parents suspicious. Oh, is that oh, is that actually a point where she discovers a, she finds a photo of young young and that's when her like brow starts furrowing or knitting or whatever you want to use and she gets all serious and very like almost wickedly asks, "How do you know this girl?" And they are kind of like alarmed. Yeah, immediately just... put off and 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 put on the defensive. Yeah. Yeah, I f- I forgot briefly that Mega Duty doesn't actually know who she's looking for. Like, she doesn't know the identity of this person. She doesn't know that that's her daughter. She just knows that this person is stirring up old business of hers. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was established, but I think it's that is a good realization moment for her to have. Yeah, yeah, it's that's excellent. And maybe Mega Duty will monologue. <laughs> that's where she gets is that it. funny at all? Oh, maybe that's actually something she represses. She starts monologuing and catches herself and, and uh, like, shakes her head and, like, she tries. That's not something she wants to be in contact with or something. I don't know. Or is it? But, but whatever she her does, like, tell, a villain monologue. Yeah, whatever her tell is. But I like the the monologue idea just because it does connect her to Jay. Yeah. But then we'll have to make sure she does a couple other monologues. Unless we want this to be the first time she actually has a slip. Maybe it is a repressed behavior. No, it's just kind of yeah. I don't know. I'm interested in. I mean, that's that's part of why she's so successful as like a political leader. Is I didn't even need a speechwriter. She's an incredible monologuist. <laughs> that's funny. That that's where they all get it. Speechwriters are just great at monologuing. Yeah. Um. But she sets she sets them off. They escape. You let them go. They don't matter anymore. We know who we're looking for now. Yeah, it was, it was to ascertain the identity of who who was snooping around. So not only does she find out that the person that's snooping around is her daughter, but she now knows who adopted her. So if she ever needs to track down information about that, she knows exactly where to find it. So she lets them go and leaves. And so, but we left Jay. Does Jay know? Oh, right. We were Jay has a clue. She has a clue. And so is the place that the clue leads her is that that is that that's not happening in this episode. I think we have a lot of content in here. Yeah, I think I think we can save the 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 place of four Starbucks for yeah. next time. That's yeah, it's probably a good way to start next episode. Yeah. From here. Else? Yeah, just yeah. I don't think there's anything else for the interaction with the parents. I think we've trimmed any fat there is on there. But maybe this is the opportunity for Mega Doodoo to go back out to her car and either make a phone call or there's a minion in the car that she can then give an order to because of course she doesn't want anything bad to happen to Jay. She wants her observed. They Mm -hmm. still are kind of on her trail. Where are Tucker and Todd during all of this? They are writing their comic. Okay. They visited the, they visited come a lot. They're writing their comic. Was that in this? Yes. Where, when, how we've, the order that we've just talked about with starting yeah it start it started with thinos and visiting their the church and him starting oh, to flatten and, and stuff right so it's during that sequence that we're seeing them yes yeah uh, tucker and todd and thinos share a sequence that goes back and forth between them okay but now now we're just thinking about how how to how to close this all up 
And it's well, probably... I was kind of thinking of bookending. We come back to Tucker and Todd, and I was trying to make it. They've oh. become, it's excessive with their um, inspiration. <laughs> We're back for more inspiration. Yeah, you guys are. <laughs> now you guys are not giving up too much. <laughs> okay, no, that's way better. I want to do that. Yeah, it, it closes out. Mega Doo goes, gets in her car, tells her minions, you know, watch her. Uh, closes that out. I got. I have to make a phone call. Transition back over to Tucker and Todd. Maybe, maybe the sound of the phone ringing that for whatever call that Mega Doo is making transitions to the door buzzer for Kamalata as Tucker and Todd are visiting again. <laughs> it's like the middle of the night. They're fiending. They're like scratching at their necks. Oh yeah, they've got a problem. They've traded yep. one problem for a different because that's that's the kind of guys they are. The shopkeeper has shuffled to the door in their like nightcap and slippers. We're closed. They're pointing at the sign. We 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 need help. We need inspiration. We we're giving up because we can't get it up. Gave up, giving up. I like the idea that whoever works there just sleeps there too. <laughs> just shows <laughs> up in they, like a an old fashioned yeah house. nightcap. Yeah. With like a a candle holder or like a yeah, little oil lantern, all the yeah. way. They, I mean, this place must take emergency calls because they let them in, or do they? Or do Tucker and Todd get turned away? Oh, I'm not sure. Come back in the morning, so they just stand outside, <laughs> wait for the sun to come up, get progressively itchier and twitchier. I don't know. That sounds like too much time. I feel like this needs to be like a one shot joke, and then we're done. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we've got the we've got the person in the in the night clothes nightcap. Answer the door. We're closed. Read the sign. Should the sign say something funny? And that's where we kind of ended off. Sign just says thank you. Come again. Oh, I like that. This <laughs> we're just doing what we're told by I the sign. Talk, try. We're trying. Yeah. Ba -ba 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 <laughs> Looney Tunes circle close on them. Yeah. Little squirt sound. All right, this way, and then yeah, door closes, and then the sound of the the Shake Shack being activated. <laughs> activated. Yeah, just the tents are rocking, but that is that's all, folks. Yeah, that's all, folks. That's the end of my rope. That's the end of my rope. Yeah, thanks for cover. That was Snidefall for this week. Tune in again for when we have another one. Tune in. Bye. D try not to tune out. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>